You are listening to a special edition of the ACB Advocacy Update. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Advocacy Update podcast. I am your host, Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. This week, it's been a big week for ACB, and before we dive into that, I'd like to encourage everyone, if you did not take part in the ACB DC leadership meetings, to visit the ACB website, uh, find the information for our legislative imperatives as well, check out our social media channels, YouTube Live, as well as ACB Radio, because there is a ton of content available. So you can get caught up. You don't have to hear about it from me and my guests here today. You can uh, take part and relive the experience all for yourselves. And as always, if you like what we're doing here at ACB, feel free to become a member. And you can also do that on the ACB website at acb.org. All right, jumping right in. Today, I'm joined by ACB Executive Director, Eric Bridges. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Clark. How are you? I feel like a the weight of the world has been lifted off my shoulders. Eric, I'm as light as a feather, and all our little ACB birdies are virtually <laughs> flying up to Capitol Hill. That is correct. And boy, what a beautiful day it would be to fly up to Capitol Hill today. You know, we, we, 62 degrees outside. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's just how it works out sometimes. There are some years where we do the DC leadership meetings and the day on Capitol Hill and all of DC could be an ice rink, uh, much like it was last week at this time. Yes. Or it could be torrential rain, much like it will be next week at this time. <laughs> so you, you just never know what you're going to get this time of year in the DC area. But fortunately, our, all of our people were warm and safe. Uh, Safely ensconced in their Zoom rooms. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Eric, we our DC leadership meetings. This has been a, a few months in the making, and everything got kicked off with our board meeting and board training. Yeah. Well, I think we started really talking about programming and sort of, you know, looking at uh, the different technologies that we would use for for these meetings back in November during mm -hmm. a leadership team meeting. So there's been a lot of thought that's gone into all of this. Uh, the steering committees have been helpful. I, I will speak for the advocacy steering committee that you helped to, to lead and, and staff. Uh, they played a big role that's in, right. in the sort of the planning of, of content as well as uh, several of the folks that are, are committee chairs that sit on that steering committee actually uh, hosted or facilitated mm -hmm. panel discussions either during general sessions or breakouts yes, during the legislative seminar. So very cool. Uh, to your other point, yeah, we we had a roughly a day and a half of a board meeting, which during the, the uh, DC leadership conference uh, annually, we, we take a half day to do training as a board and the, the staff. And so, this year was no different. Uh, Friday, we we did uh, two trainings, and really, it's about getting our 
you know, our, our team of employees as well as contractors who were invited. And then the leadership, the elected leadership of the organization, um, you know, exposed to training in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as, you know, sexual misconduct prevention and, uh, you know, anti-discrimination uh, laws. So there were, there were two trainings that Friday. Uh, I, th I thought that they were both very helpful in, in getting us all to the same baseline, because I know that many who participated during their day-to-day -day work with their nine-to-five jobs have had some of this training in the past, but not, not recently. And uh, it was good for our team. I'll just speak on behalf of you know, Team ACB um, was good for us to, to be able to get that training so that we have a baseline moving forward. And Eric, I like how you phrase that. It gets everyone to the same baseline because not everyone's experiences, uh, individual either life or work experiences are the same. So we really need to, to build that base level of knowledge and understanding so that we can continue, as Cindy Hollis says, to make ACB a safe, welcoming, and respectful place. Not only our community events, but everything we do from the local chapters to the state and special interest affiliates and our virtual and in-person events. That's correct. All of this stuff is important. It's, and it's also not just a, a one-off sort of exercise for us. We're gonna continue to do this annually. Uh, there'll be uh, some more training uh, in the fall for the, the leadership, uh, the, you know, the board, as well as uh, Team ACB here. Uh, so, you know, looking forward to, to that continuing. We can only uh, grow together uh, better uh, by getting that training and, and learning from one another. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's all just really very helpful. It's, it's something that, that I think is an important part of our future as we continue to grow and evolve as an organization. And that training catapulted us into our day-long board meeting. Eric, was there anything that stood out to you in particular from this year's, albeit virtual, but this year's fall board meeting? Or excuse me, February board meeting, <laughs> not fall. Just another yeah. eight-hour board meeting. <laughs> It'll start to blend. Together. Eleven to seven yeah. uh, Eastern time. Uh, you know. What I would say is, you know, there, there's a tremendous amount going on within the organization. I was, um, you know, I, I have the great fortune of managing the day-to-day -day operations of this organization and the, the level of uh, work that's being done by uh, the team, not just here, but, you know, the work that Cindy Hollis is doing, uh, Nancy Becker and her team in, in Minneapolis, as well as, you know, folks with ACB Radio. Um, is tremendous. And uh, bring, being able to bring all of that to bear through the reports and uh, the Q&A with the board, I, I thought was, was just outstanding. Uh, and then also uh, to, to have the board uh, take a look at stipends and sort of the economic barriers that, that still can exist for folks to run for the board. And then once they're on the board, have you know, fairly significant expenses to take into account and to raise the stipend uh, by what double, right? Yes. To a thousand dollars. It's a huge step. Um, you know, was was a, a, a very big deal. 
to allow for folks that may have more economic concerns to have less of a of an economic barrier to uh, to to enter into leadership of this organization. And then finally, you know, the voting. My goodness, we weren't able to vote last year, right? So, uh, you know, the there was a task force that was created uh, at the request of, of our president, Dan Spoon, to take a look at the feasibility of voting and to have uh, the proposal that came from that task force be uh, adopted by the board. And now, you know, the, the rollout of it is a lot of uh, communicating with the membership, but mm -hmm. we will likely be able to vote this summer, uh, even though we will be uh, in a virtual setting. And Eric, one of the things that stood out to me was it was last year, February of 2020, the last in-person event hosted by ACB. And not only was it the last in-person event, it was also the first time that the ACB board meeting was streamed over ACB radio. Yeah, we've come a long way, right? <laughs> there's there's a, very a long lot way. of innovation, um, a lot of flexible collaboration that has taken part over this past year. So we, we built off of the experience of last year's in-person board meeting and streaming over ACB radio. We flew into the community events, which carried us through the annual conference and convention. And then we built upon those lessons learned that for the DC leadership meetings, uh, we weren't just streaming over ACB radio and we weren't uh, simply using a, a Zoom webinar for people to attend and to get this information out. No, we were everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to continue to be everywhere. And so, you know, it, what, we, we are very fortunate to have a thoughtful and uh, very smart advisory board, uh, folks that are able to provide subject matter expertise to, to us, guidance to us, where we don't necessarily have, you know, those areas professionalized within our organization, or we just simply still need um, some really good uh, observers and, and advice. And one of the one of the pieces of advice that we got from one of our advisors was, "Hey, you know, what if uh, what if you went out and, and looked at some of the software that can, uh, you know, simulcast your." whatever it is you're doing on Zoom through multiple social media platforms. And mm -hmm. so that's something that we investigated in early January. Uh, Kelly Gask, uh, member, great member of our team, uh, was sort of tasked with doing some research. And lo and behold, we, we came across a, a really good, what they call multi-stream aggregator. Uh, it's called Restream. And what we were able to do, this was, uh, what, late January? We did a, a video yeah. promoting the DC Leadership Conference. And uh, there were several of us on there, including you. Uh, that was our first uh, toe in the water with Restream. And we went live through Zoom uh, onto our YouTube channel, Facebook page, as well as our community group page on Facebook. 
was really great. It worked exceedingly well and it's very accessible. So, uh, you know, Kelly doesn't have to be the one that always sets it up. It could be Tony, it could be you, it could be me, Cindy, anybody. Mm -hmm. And so what we, what we elected to do for the DC Leadership Conference is go live everywhere. And we had uh, some pretty tremendous success with that. Yeah, and for example, the president's meetings, we had what, three channels going for the breakouts on ACB radio, Yep. Uh, on YouTube and the YouTube, uh, YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and the Facebook community group, like you mentioned. And then all of this content is archived. So in, in past events, if you were not able to attend in person, you're out of luck. Last year, if you weren't able to attend in person, there, there was ACB radio. You had uh, the audio streams from Link and the website and your smart speaker to where you could access the content. But now we're branching out into video as well. And not only is it archived as podcasts on ACB radio, but it's archived as video on social media and YouTube. Yeah, and the video component was something that we learned a tremendous amount about during the convention. And that's something that to some has seemed rather counterintuitive at times. Well, we're a blindness organization. Why, why do we need video? Well, because the overwhelming majority of folks in the world can see, right? And the folks that visit our website, they're not all blind. In fact, many of them are not. They are family members, sighted family members of folks who are blind. There are sighted folks that are looking to donate. And so having that video content either on our site or on our YouTube page does nothing but help uh, with regard to the visibility of this, literally the visibility of this organization uh, to the good work we do. And, you know, it's just another way to be able to communicate and message what we're doing through video as well as the podcasts. Uh, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, smart devices and all of that. We were here in the office the last three days and we, we have an Amazon Echo in the office. We had that on. I had uh, for various meetings, I also had uh, the ACB Link app mm -hmm. on my phone in my pocket as I was wandering around harassing people here in the office. Um, and, and I know that you did as well for the, for the president's meeting. I think you took that uh, from home actually. I did. And you know, there's, there are any number of ways to engage with, with the content that we're providing now. And I'm just, I'm so excited about it. It's, it is, um, we've entered into a new era within this organization. And I, I love the flexibility that all of these options bring. We heard from one of our members who had his YouTube app on his you know, oversized, he, although he would probably say it's, uh, inadequate, but like his 60 inch TV <laughs> watching the president's meeting and something we'll get to here in a second, but uh, President Dan Spoon's fireside chat with national blindness leaders. And he was laying on his couch watching it on TV. I was flipping fat back and forth between YouTube and the ACB link app, uh, mostly settled on the link app because I could have it run in the background while I was doing a rowing workout. You know, so thing, things like that, just flexible ways to consume this content. I need to figure out a way to get exercise in here somewhere. That's I, Leslie Spoon would be very disappointed if I did. <laughs> yeah. 
And Eric, speaking of the content, let's talk about some of the content that was included in the president's meeting. Well, actually, can we go to the fireside chat first? Sure. And uh, just kind of talk through a little bit about some of the planning that, that was done for that and, and uh, who, who participated. This uh, came up, what, a little over a month ago now uh, during a, a meeting that we had to sort of figure out, you know, what's something cool that we could do that, you know, could bring together several of the major uh, leaders within our field representing, you know, agencies for the blind mm -hmm. and um, how, how could this work and who would, who would moderate it and, you know, what, what would we hope to get from it? And uh, Clark, you, this was essentially your, your baby uh, to, or your, you know, you sort of birthed it, right, as an idea. Yeah. And it, brought it to the group. So even back in the fall, when Dan Spoon was on a panel at an event for the American Printing House for the Blind, he extended the olive branch to the other blindness organizations um, to do more collaboration and to get together for a conversation. So what better opportunity than an event where we're working to strengthen our members and our affiliates to bring these folks together, uh, not to discuss uh, hardcore policy or uh, heavy hitting issues, but just to introduce them, kind of the, the names and faces behind and voices behind in some, in some cases, these larger than life uh, personalities of these organizations, organizations that have been around in the case of the American Foundation for the Blind and the American Printing House for the Blind for over a hundred years. So it's, it's really cool that we had a chance and that our members had a chance to kind of get to know, in the case of AFB, Kirk Adams, and in the case of APH, Craig Meter, uh, because they're, these aren't just monolithic organizations that are you know, cold, heartless, but there are actual living, breathing, caring people who are trying to do the best they can in their capacity at these organizations to better the lives of people who are blind and visually impaired. Yeah, it was, I think that it, that particular event was something that I had not ever uh, saw or heard before. And by the way, that, that was also streamed through Restream on our YouTube channel and our Facebook page and community page as well. Um, listening to, to those folks, so Kirk Adams with AFB, Craig Meter from APH, uh, Mark Riccobono from NFB, That's Mark right. Reichert from AER, Lee Nasahi from Vision Serve Alliance, and uh, Don Overton uh, from the Blind and Veterans Association mm -hmm. uh, talk about you know, their organizations have it be uh, facilitated by our own Dan Spoon uh, and really getting to feel like you're better, having a better understanding of them as people. So there was, there was a whole personal side of them that came out that Dan sought to, to get out of them. It was supposed to go 90 minutes and went two hours. <laughs> uh, and part of it was, I feel like Clark, they collectively felt comfortable with one another and they felt comfortable sharing. Uh, mm -hmm. In particular, personal things about their their upbringing, how they came to the blindness field, um, a little bit about kind of what makes them tick, even as professionals. And so, it was 
I was, uh, I found some of it to be very moving, actually, as, as somebody that has gotten to know these folks. Uh, there were things that came out that I didn't know about mm -hmm. uh, them, and, and in particular, their upbringings. Uh, and then, you know, the, the last question that Dan asked was, you know, what do you see in the next three to five years, you know, the opportunities or challenges. And so I thought, I thought that that was very revealing. Um, that, that video, by the way, is up on our YouTube channel. So all you have to do is search for American Council of the Blind and it's, it's on our channel. Yeah, the fireside chat. And I agree with you, Eric, they really did lean in uh, to the conversation with Dan. They, you know, they exposed some vulnerability, uh, but they also shared with our members and with the audience that they're really no different than you are or than I am. They are parents of children with disabilities. They were children with disabilities. They've gone through the same experiences in, in different facets in school and employment that a lot of our members have. And, it, and if they you know, don't have the lived experience, they are lifelong professionals in the field of disability. So I, I think that that was something that was really cool and certainly something that our members were able to relate to and connect with them on, on a personal level. Yeah, we, we've heard that a lot the last couple of days, right? Uh, folks, I think appreciating um, that, that they actually kind of got a window into those folks' lives and how they came to be where they are today. Because ultimately, it's for, for each of them, it's been a lot of hard work that's gotten them to where they are. But they've each kind of come from a slightly different perspective to get to where they are. Yes. And following the Sunday night uh, fireside chat and the day-long president's meetings, we launched right into our legislative seminar. We did. And the whole, the whole three-day uh, DC Leadership Conference was dedicated in the memory of Charlie Crawford, mm -hmm. who was the second executive director of the American Council of the Blind, uh, was a tremendous advocate uh, as, a, as a state affiliate president, a special interest affiliate president, mm -hmm. and just as, a, as an individual advocate in his, in his own uh, you know, area where he lived in Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, Charlie did so much for so many um, and it was, it was a real honor to be able to, uh, you know, dedicate this year's DC leadership con uh, conference in his memory. Uh, he, um, you know, fr from my perspective, he, he got me into thinking that ACB was pretty cool when I was, uh, you know, I was still in college and thought about, wow, you know, what a, what a cool place to, to go and work one day. And I, I wound up doing that. And, uh, his wife, Sue, and uh, Patrick Sheehan, who's a, a member of our board, but a, a great friend of Charlie's, uh, there's a, a moving video that we were able to put together to remember Charlie. And also want to give a big thank you to co-chair of the Congressional Vision Caucus, uh, Representative Gus Bilirakis from Florida, who helped kick off the proceedings for the legislative seminar. Uh, geez, Monday afternoon, in some cases Monday morning, depending on what time zone you were in. And that launched us into two days, 18 sessions, over 45 uh, panelists and moderators 
a policy palooza, little little different than our one day event from years past. Um, I think in the future, and this is something that is has been echoed for community events for the uh, the annual conference and convention, and I, I know it's a uh, important and front of mind for our second vice president, Ray Campbell, because I heard him say it once or twice throughout this week, uh, a hybrid event will have to be the way of the future. Once we get back in person and we're all uh, hugs and dinners and laughs, there will still need to be a virtual component uh, because Eric, we reached so many more people this year. Yeah, we did. There's no doubt. And all you have to do is look back to our convention last year as well, right? you know, you take away the economic component of airfare and hotel and meals, mm-hmm. um, and you you allow for so many more folks. And by the way, also vacation days, right? Right. Uh, you 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 enable so many more folks to directly interact with um, and engage with you know the presenters um, as well as members of Congress. So it's. You know, it, it, to me, this is this is a no-brainer. I, I want very badly to get back together, you know, for a, a face-to-face meeting, and 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 we will do that, and we will have, I think, uh, better than ever physical attendance. But enabling folks to engage remotely in in the activity and the good work that we do uh, is is something that will never go away. It simply, it's become a part of of what we do now. And even with the modest registration fee for this three-day event of what, $20? Yeah. um, There were a number of affiliates stepping up and offering to pay that registration fee for any of their members who wanted to attend. So I thought it was really cool hearing the voices come through as we had our partners from the private sector, from the blindness community, or from government agencies, our our government stakeholders, talking on panels and weighing in and interacting with our members. I heard a couple of our next gen members. I heard several of our ACB students and scholarship winners attending this year's conference where they may not have attended whether due to economics or time in events previously. No, absolutely. And I think uh, the, the airline panel to me was among the most impressive uh, panels. You had what, Delta, American, United, and Alaska all yep. represented. And I, 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 I sincerely have no clue if we could have made that happen <laughs> had that been a, an in-person event, right? I mean, it, it makes things so much easier uh, for folks to hop on a, on a Zoom uh, video uh, to be a panelist to present from wherever they may be, Dallas or uh, Atlanta or Chicago mm-hmm. or, or Seattle. Where, or Seattle. Um, then having everybody fly into DC uh, for just what ostensibly was what an hour yeah. of presentation, right? So th- the remote component of it, I think helped to get us greater representation from various corporations as, as well as the, the autonomous vehicle mm-hmm. uh, panel. Yes, and 
Uh, great panels on our transportation breakout track. We were able to have multiple breakout tracks going simultaneously. Another thing that we haven't done at an in-person legislative seminar. So at, within our transportation track, in addition to those great panels with the airline industry, with Cruise and uh, Waymo, and then Foresight Augmented Reality participating on the Autonomous Vehicle Panel, we also had great leaders within ACB moderating those panels. So Sheila Styron from our Transportation Committee and Sarah Calhoun, President of GDUI, as well as Ron Brooks, former Transportation Chair and Chair of the Advocacy Steering Committee. Uh, folks who are busy movers and shakers and who, who may not have been able to attend in person. Right. So it's really letting us leverage the expertise of our membership uh, to pull these panels together as well. And Eric, I agree with you, even within our voting sessions, I don't know if we would have had local voting officials talking about their efforts throughout the 2020 elections to implement accessible voting options from Florida, where not only they were dealing with a pandemic, but also hurricane season, or Oregon, not only dealing with a pandemic, but wildfires. So that was a, another fascinating- yeah, Do those panel. folks even have travel budgets, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Just a practical question, right? So, you know, being able to do this remotely got us, I think, quite a bit further down the road with regard to kind of the evolution of the level of participation uh, from outside organizations. And then, you know, the, the, the last part, which literally was the last session of the day yesterday, mm -hmm. inviting our partners in from the blindness field to talk about the issues that they're working on. Um, I heard from so many folks yesterday about just how cool that was to be able to listen to National Industries for the Blind and the American Foundation for the Blind and prevent blindness and uh, on and on. It was, uh, it was an impressive array of organizations that came together to kind of talk about what they're working on, you know, as part of our event, our legislative seminar. Yes, and I, I think it really drives home that although ACB, we have our three legislative imperatives for this year and in this virtual environment, we also had the, the flexibility and the recommendations of the Advocacy Steering Committee to hold community events and get materials out far enough advance, let folks digest those materials, and then hold community events in a conversation so that we can hear the questions and any concerns uh, and really coach up our members on how to, can, how to speak and share their personal experiences. But those are only three issues. And by having our partners from the blindness community in these two days of programming, we got to introduce our members, some not for the first time, but maybe others for the first time, to a wide swath of public policy areas that ACB is working uh, in conjunction with our partners on a, a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So even if ACB is not the leading organization for the vision and eye health initiatives at CDC. We are working with Prevent Blindness to really shepherd those programs and ensure that they have the funding that they need to best serve our members in the broader community. Agree, yeah. It, 
you know, and this is something that, that ACB has been doing for a long time. It's part of our, well, it's one of our core values, actually, collaboration. Exactly. And, and uh, through collaboration and demonstrating flexibility uh, with, you know, with these events and showing, and frankly, taking initiative. Um, and, you know, I, I think the other, one of the other core values that, that, these organizations really uh, re respect um, in us is our, our honesty and integrity. And, um, and that goes a long way. And so, you know, we've got, we've got the capability, we've got the capacity, we have the know-how, uh, but being able to expose the rest of our, our membership in the broader community to these other organizations and the way we did yesterday, uh, you know, it really, it, 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 it goes a long way and you don't see that sort of, uh, that sort of segment on a, in a conference in our field that often. Mm -hmm. And although we wish that we were with everyone uh, advocating throughout the halls of Congress and Capitol Hill here today and for the remainder of this week, uh, another bright spot. We don't have to cram all our home meetings into one day when we do it virtually. So no, no member can escape meeting with the American Council of the Blind. And you know, we wish that we could be there in person with everyone, although we'll just have to wait for that for another year. But again, as our members and affiliates are carrying out those meetings, be sure to follow up with the national office, complete that Hill feedback, whether you do it online as a survey, or you download the Hill feedback form from the DC Leadership Meetings webpage, please get those back to us and also send those members a thank you. Keep building that relationship, become that trusted advocacy resource for the staff and your elected officials. Before we close out here, Eric, we do have uh, one more thing. Uh, we've got a a kind of carry on presentation from the president's meeting, someone that you had the pleasure of introducing. Yeah, Will Butler, who's the vice president for community at Be My Eyes. As many of you may be aware, about a year ago now, we joined the Be My Eyes platform under specialized uh, support. And it's been a, a great relationship. We are available to take calls on the Be My Eyes platform from noon Eastern to 5 p.m. Uh, five days a week during the work week. Uh, so if you if you find us there and call us, uh, one of one of the staff, or we also have, now have uh, some volunteer members that have been trained to take those calls as well. So very cool. Will Will joined us to talk about uh, communication and uh, the different communications channels that exist today and where he sees the whole communications medium going in the future and, and how all of that is gonna work. So uh, really appreciated him taking the time. I've known him for probably three or four years at this point. He's a, in my view, he's a, he's a thought leader in this area in the blindness field and uh, found, found his presentation to be uh, very thought provoking. So hope everybody enjoys it. And before we get to Will, I just want to give one quick announcement. ACB will be onboarding a new advocacy and outreach specialist starting on March 1st. 
So I'd like to encourage all of our members and friends reach out via phone or via email and please give a big welcome to Swatha Nandakumar uh, coming to ACB from Chicago, or excuse me, the Chicagoland area in Illinois with her background in public policy. Uh, we're really excited to have her on board. So please give a big welcome to Swatha. And as we turn it over to Will, Eric, we'll close out by saying, keep, keep advocating. advocating. So a little bit just about to, so Eric, thank you so much for the introduction. And again, my name is Will Butler. I, uh, my, my title is VP of Community at the Be My Eyes app. Um, Be My Eyes is a, a wonderful uh, company and a mobile application. If none of you, um, if any of you don't have the app, please download it. Um, it's a free sighted assistance app. Um, and we are based, our team is based all around the world. Um, so we have offices in Denmark and in California, as well as little outposts around the Midwest and um, all over the United States. Um, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about Be My Eyes. Uh, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about where I came from and sort of how I'm viewing the media and communications landscape today. Um, being that I used to work at the Lighthouse for the Blind in San Francisco, so I have some experience in the nonprofit realm. And then I also have a background in journalism, so I have gotten a peek into sort of what, what the media landscape, evolving media landscape is like. Um, but first I just want to, yeah, elaborate a bit more on what Eric was talking about, about ACB on Be My Eyes. Um, for those that don't know, um, you know, many people have thought of Be My Eyes over the years, rightly so, as a volunteer community. And um, Be My Eyes was founded six years ago on a very, very simple principle, which is that you should be able to overcome an accessibility barrier with a pair of eyes whenever you needed it, not have to wait for someone to show up at your house or for your family member to be available. Um, our founder hands uh, in Denmark, came up with this idea. He himself is legally blind. He says hello to everyone, by the way. And, um, and he, he came up with this idea of, I should be able to push a button and have a pair of eyes at my disposal. Um, I, you know, personally, our whole executive team believes that sight should be free and that it's not something you should have to pay for. And so we've worked very hard to make sure that the volunteer network is, is you know, always available and always um, quick to answer. Our algorithms, you know, work behind the scenes when you push the button on the Be My Eyes app to reach a volunteer in just a matter of seconds. We, we serve 185 languages today and across all of those 185 languages, our average connection time to a volunteer is less than 30 seconds. In English, you're gonna find it, if you speak English, it's even less like uh, some, most of the time in the single digits. So you're just waiting literally a few seconds for a pair of eyes, as opposed to 10, 20 years ago, when, when you needed a pair of eyes, it might take days, hours, weeks, months to have someone um, available to read you the things that you wanted read. So that is what everyone you know, in our community is familiar with about Be My Eyes, about sort of the Be My Eyes story. 
Um, but the sort of next chapter that we're in now that folks aren't as familiar with is our investment in specialized help services. So um, a couple of years ago, we sat down with Microsoft and to address a, a problem, which was that, um, you know, we had users calling, um, calling, uh, making Be My Eyes calls for Microsoft issues. And Microsoft had a help desk that wanted to help people with Be My Eyes issues. Uh, and Microsoft wasn't getting a chance to see how their products were working for blind and low vision people once they were out in the wild. Um, they could do user testing before things were released, but it was a totally different matter altogether to actually see um, what the real life issues were. So we asked Microsoft if they would like us to route calls into their call center. And that was the beginning of specialized help. Um, so today you can call Microsoft 24 hours a day, seven days a week on the Be My Eyes app directly from within the Be My Eyes app to make a Be My Eyes call um, and connect very quickly with someone who is trained to help you solve the problem. So from there, we, we quickly had kind of a chain of, of other companies join. Google joined shortly after Microsoft. Um, and today we have a whole sort of hub on the Be My Eyes service of providers. Um, I'll talk a little bit more later on about Be My Eyes and happy to answer any questions about Be My Eyes. Um, but that's not exactly why we're here today. I wanted to talk about uh, what ACB is doing on Be My Eyes because during this, uh, during the pandemic time, when, you know, I was, I was sitting back and watching all of our, all of the doors closing of all of the great blindness organizations around the country. And I thought to myself, blindness organizations need to not lose that connection with the, the average consumer who can just walk in the door, um, walk up to the front desk and ask a question or um, give a call. And so we reached out to blindness organizations around the country and around the world, and we invited them to join the Be My Eyes platform uh, at no charge. Um, this, is a, this is a service uh, that we're granting specifically to blindness organizations that have uh, a mission to serve the blind and low vision community. And what that allows is an official presence for any blindness organization in the Be My Eyes app, along with a video call button and a calling feature that allows you to be available to any Be My Eyes app user uh, during any hours of the day that you choose. So ACB uh, about a year ago now really embraced this initiative and um, joined the Be My Eyes service and now has a team of folks at the central ACB offices answering Be My Eyes calls uh, five hours a day now, um, five days a week um, to answer any questions that any member may have just high level about ACB and about membership and about resources. And it, it, it's been an incredible way, not only for ACB just to have a profile and a brand presence in the community, but also to just increase that feeling of connectivity that consumers, that the end user, that the average blind person feels with ACB. Um, I, I would love to chat a little bit about that later, but it's just one example of, of how there are so many new channels now where you can connect directly with those you're trying to serve. Um, so I, I, uh, 
I want to I want to just briefly go back and talk, give a little context about who I am and sort of where I came from. I, I I did not grow up as a blind person. I didn't identify with even low vision, even though I was very much low vision as a as a young kid. Um, I didn't identify with my struggles in classes. I didn't identify with the fact that I had trouble reading sheet music on the piano. Um, it wasn't until I was in my teen years that I actually started to lose vision uh, in a way that was substantial, but, um, but I didn't identify with it at all. And so I didn't know anyone who was blind. I wasn't familiar with anyone who was even identified as visually impaired. It was all uh, very foreign to me. And then when I was 19 and I became legally blind um, due to retinal detachment in my good eye at that point, my one good eye, I really had no footing underneath me. I really had no resources. My doctors didn't, everyone is familiar with this story, right? Anyone who's listening to me talking right now knows what it feels like to walk out of a doctor's office and feel like you maybe didn't necessarily get what you needed. Uh, but you don't know what you need, right? And, um, you know, even in those days, it was just uh, about 12 or 13 years ago now, even, even in 2008 or nine, you log on to the internet, it was a different internet than it is now. Um, there were no blind, in, you know, influencers, certainly not. There were no blind, uh, you know, YouTubers with millions of followers. There weren't really even much in the way of podcasts about blindness, at least nothing that you could find if you weren't sort of an insider, if you didn't already have an in with the community. Um, the only thing, the only real online resources to speak of at that time to the average, you know, layperson Googling around for issues about blindness was newsletters and newsletter archives. And, you know, newsletters are still an effective way of communicating, but it was only an absolute seed of what we have today. Um, today is a completely different landscape. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about that and I wanna answer any questions that might exist about that. Um, but bef you know, before getting into that, I came into my own you know, kind of experience of blindness. I took me four years to start using a cane. I had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of, uh, uh, let's say, interesting uh, situations in that period of time. I, I uh, was stopped at Border Patrol because I looked suspicious. Uh, you know, um, I probably looked like I was intoxicated or, you know, and some, and this sort of like, it, there's just so many examples of our, um, of how we behave when we're trying to fit in with others, when we're trying to hide our vision um, as a young person without a cane, without a dog. Uh, I was absolutely uh, just trying to fit in with the, the stereotype of what I thought a young, you know, quote unquote, able-bodied person should look like. And so it was a struggle. It was really a, um, you know, a challenge. And finally, when I picked up the cane in 2012, everything just cracked open. Everything changed. Um, suddenly it, things weren't so awkward at work anymore. Um, people didn't, people didn't, you know, side eye me and try to figure out what was wrong with me. Why was I walking so slowly in that one dark corner of the office? Uh, why would, you know, why, why did I, uh, reach out 
to the, you know, the, the, over the tip jar at the cash register and drop the coins right onto the counter. You know, strange little things like that that had no explanation when I wasn't identifying myself as visually impaired. But then suddenly with the cane in my hand, everything fell into place. And my career took off as well. I started writing more. I had more confidence to go out in journalistic ventures and interview um, sources and um, be comfortable with the fact that I couldn't see everything. And I was pitching to major news outlets. And pretty soon I was writing for publications that you know the names of like New York Times and New Yorker and Atlantic. And I was writing not just about blindness, but about um, technology and culture. It was really quite a, um, quite a wonderful time for, for a young you know, person coming into their own. And I attribute it very much to my willingness to embrace my blindness. But at the same time, it wasn't the whole picture. I still had so many parts of my life that I hadn't figured out yet. And without kind of a support community online that I could look to in the evenings when I got home, you know, from work and skim through, you know, information and resources and joke around with other people who were going through what I was going through, it really, um, it really wasn't a full picture, a full picture of community or of options of how to live my life. So around this time, I was lucky because I um, ran into the folks at the Lighthouse for the Blind in San Francisco. And I came to work there in 2015 during a big, big shift at the Lighthouse and a move to a new headquarters. And I spent three or four years there at the Lighthouse and over the course of, I could give a whole talk about what I learned at, at the Lighthouse, but I, you know, to sum it all up, I really feel like I sort of went back to college in a lot of ways. Um, I had just gotten out of college, but I feel like I went back and I went to sort of um, to blind school in some sense. Uh, it was incredible all that I learned. Um, just about, not so much about the, you know, how to, um, you know, operate a piece of technology or how to, uh, you know, um, measure, you know, the right length of a cane, but more, more things about attitude and your bearing in the world and your place in the world and seeing, you know, coming to work with 75 or so different blind people every day and seeing the myriad diversity of approaches to blindness and how, well, some people behave like this and some people behave like this. And you know what? Everybody's approach to blindness is valid and, um, and good and works for them. And I, I really can't emphasize enough how valuable it was for me to be exposed to that many different perspectives. And so I think, you know, fast forwarding a little bit today where I run community and communications and social media and brand for Be My Eyes, which is this vast blindness community that spans 175 countries. I'm thinking about what is the universal way? What is the, the, the way to connect with a blind, a visually impaired, or an ally, a consumer, use, app user, whoever it is, it's not limited simply to people who identify as blind or low vision. It could be anyone around them, anyone in their family, anyone on the periphery, um, 
or just simply someone who's an ally because let's not forget that of our 5 million you know, cited app users, many of those people will also experience visual impairments. In fact, a higher percentage than even the number of users we have already. So it's, it, it's really important that we're speaking to everyone when we speak about issues of blindness because it really truly does affect everyone. And even if you don't become blind, you're going to have someone in your life who is, and you're gonna to need to know how to treat them, how to respect them, how to give them autonomy, how to give them support. So I really can't emphasize enough how, how important it is our communications are, are, are vast and diverse and speak to everyone. But what is that thing, right? What is that, um, that universal way to communicate a message about blindness and how do you do it at a mass scale when there's so many different ways to communicate. I mean, um, today there are more choices than ever when it comes to getting your message out there. A lot of people's minds first go to Facebook, right? And Facebook is really just the tip of the iceberg. Um, in fact, I, I think Facebook probably represents only a small slice today of the communications that are happening in the community building that's happening on the internet. You know, just sort of speaking broadly, all of this applies equally to topics of blindness as it does to the mainstream community. But you have blind and visually impaired people now on TikTok. I don't know if anyone has ever explored TikTok as a social network. It's one of these brand new social networks that just came out the gate, you know, in the last few years, very quickly rose to popularity. And you have dozens and dozens and dozens of blind and visually impaired people, many of whom are young people, on this app, making videos on a daily basis and connecting with hundreds of thousands and millions of people. I'm not exaggerating here when I can tell you that a 22 year old on TikTok can make one video and in a matter of hours, they can have reached more people than the ACB has reached over the course of that entire year or dozens of years. And I say that not to be sort of daunting because I do realize that like not every social media platform is right for every business. Personally, Be My Eyes doesn't even have a TikTok account, but it's important to understand how all of these different platforms and social networks are creating a constellation of communication and engagement around us so that we know what environment we're playing in. Um, there's all these other platforms as well, and I'm not gonna go into them today because it's a whole you know, dissertation, but there's forums like Reddit, Instagram, which is very much owned by Facebook. There's Twitter, of course, where many of you are familiar, there's chatter constantly going on. And then all these splinter social medias now that are popping up, things like Discord, which believe it or not, is a hub for blind gamers. Um, you have Clubhouse, which is the newest sort of audio-based social media, which just popped up just in the last year. Um, I spent six hours on Clubhouse a couple of days ago talking to dozens and dozens of blind and visually impaired people about everything from um, what we think of, of blindness simulations all the way down to what's the right cane for a hiking trip. And so like it or not, our community has splintered into a million separate parts. And all of these conversations are happening simultaneously. And there are rooms now, Zoom rooms, you know, all of these things where um, people are talking. 
So you have two things going on here, which is that you have less control over the overarching narrative, but at the same time, you have a stronger word of mouth effect. So you have less control over the overarching narrative. You don't have the ability to press one button and send out a communication that's going to affect everyone. And yet, if you do something valuable, if you do something that makes a difference in people's lives, the word of mouth is going to spread hundreds of times faster than it ever did before. And that is regardless of what platform you're using to spread your message. So, you know, simultaneously with this, we have the rise of voice technology, which is a really interesting sort of curveball in here. And that's, you know, Alexa and podcasts and all these sorts of things. And that has an interesting effect, a level playing field effect as well, because we get to consume content the way that many people like to today. And we're very much a part of the mainstream. We have many apps bringing us in and making sure that their mainstream experiences are accessible. Um, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing because it means that we can pull open the Kindle app or we can pull open the Audible app, whatever it might be, and interact. Um, we have, due to the wonderful work of ACB and others, we have um, streaming entertainment platforms, adding audio description. Blind folks are allowed to participate in the mainstream in a way that they weren't before. And so I really want to emphasize that the role of, you know, an organization, I think, like ACB, when it comes to putting out a podcast or just posting something on Facebook or trying a new media format is really to sit back and think, what value can I add to someone's life? What can I say that's going to affect that 19-year-old in Iowa who just is experiencing a vision impairment for the first time? Um, we're looking to create community here. And communities created through um, trust, which comes through vulnerability and honesty, right? And uh, everyone now has a high quality microphone and a high quality camera in their pocket. And so, you know, it's not about production value anymore. It's not about being polished or shiny or high end. It's about taking out your phone, hitting record and sharing something that's honest and authentic and real with people that's, that you maybe struggled with once in your life that's going to help people. And that is what is going to activate that word of mouth effect that's going to spread your message far and wide. And that's the thing that's going to strengthen communities for the long term. Now, I realize I've gone on and on and, and not left that much time for questions. It's amazing how time flies when you're getting up on my soapbox. But um, I'd love to just sort of open it up. more about the American Council of the Blind, visit us online at www.acb.org or email us at advocacy at acb.org.